Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the podcast that takes a topic each week and as the name suggests, Cast Views. This week I've got good friend of the show and I'd like to say good friend of mine. Well, we'll see what he says. I've got Sasu from Chatsunami Podcast on. Hiya. Well, well, we'll we'll talk about it after the PayPal payment goes through, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that hasn't cleared yet. That hasn't cleared yet. (laughs) How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Always a pleasure to be back on Casting Views. It's always the highlight of my podcasting recording week whenever I see the notification and you say, oh, do you want to come on for an episode? And I go, you know what? That sounds like a delightful idea. Let's do it. (laughs) No, it's always good to have you on. And I normally say when I get people back on the show after sort of like the first episode or so, that it'll always be something outside of their normal I want to say comfort zone, but outside their normal sphere of podding. But this week's episode, which we'll come on to after, is um, is something in your world. But I think it's it fits both of ours. And I don't know if it'd be normally something you'd describe on your episode. So again, you felt like the natural person to get on for this one. Yeah, as I've said before, I am a very indecisive person when it comes to topics. And even when I was talking about it, I think a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> about, you know, being a podcaster and the things I've done in the past, I was like, you know what? I've just realised I am completely indecisive. So I do gaming, films, <laughs> I just do everything. Um, so yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. And I, I'm glad that you thought of me when you brought up this topic in particular. Excellent. We will get into it, but I wanted to mention a couple of things first. And I said, hope it's not going to embarrass you you've mentioned to me because we do talk quite a bit via twitter and you have put it out there so to be fair it shouldn't be a total surprise you've released a book recently haven't you i have indeed um so i want you to tell people because first sorry i was going to say firstly absolutely fantastic congratulations i think you know people that do that it's just amazing and yes so do you want to talk about it a bit yeah well first of all thank you for the lovely words on that (laughs) Yeah, it was actually during university, which I wish I could say, oh, that was a couple of years ago. But no, it's closer to nine, ten years ago when I first released this. <laughs> you know, I, I was I was naive. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this and that. And then when I released it, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. So I kind of fell down the wayside and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to get back into it. But uh, with podcasting and being able to talk to people, being able to share different ideas with people, yourself especially, because I know you get a lot of messages from me being like, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Um, yeah, I decided to write a book called Canvas. It's a really a sci-fi book. Um, well, I, I would say sci-fi fantasy because I'm also a big Warhammer 40k fan that kind of mixes those kind of things together Um, it's it's not really like Warhammer but you know in terms of genre and yeah it's kind of a little bit like the Matrix as well it's about the you know tell me if you've heard this one the earth has gone kaput and (laughs) lots of people end up uploading themselves to a virtual world called Canvas and initially it's like a big utopia and then suddenly bad things start to happen. People are worried. They need to find out what's going wrong. It's almost a bit like, and I have to admit, I have been absolutely binge listening to your Black Mirror episodes. 
it reminds me of you know episodes like San Junipero or <laughs> White Christmas where you get people uploading themselves onto like these virtual worlds. Um, it's really taken a while for me to get back into it and actually have, well, I suppose the courage to republish it. So I'm really excited to hear what people have to say about it. And the good news is, if you don't like it and you buy the paperback, then it is thick enough to use for other purposes. So if you <laughs> want to use it as a doorstop, if you... <laughs> You know, if you want to throw it at my head or at my window, you know, feel free for legal reasons. That's a joke. It is a hefty book. And I mean that in a positive sense. It is an incredible thing you've done. And like I said, you know, when you said you've written a book and then you've seen the picture, it is a novel. You've written a novel. Yeah. The only issue I have to say with it is, um, for anyone who doesn't know, I initially had published it on a website called lulu.com. And that's like a site where you can basically write your book and then publish it. They're basically like a printing uh, company. And initially it was all good there, but when I went to rewrite bits of it and republish it again there, there were some issues with the, you know, the way that you could actually put up the manuscript and things. It was really weird. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give into the dark side and go to Amazon and give them a go this time. But because of their margins, the book went from roughly four to five hundred pages to about seven hundred. So, wow! Yeah. If you do buy this book, I apologize in advance. Um, blame Amazon, please don't blame me. <laughs> please blame them. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I've managed to get a copy digitally, legally. I think I should say um, because that sounds quite dodgy. <laughs> so and i've got some time off coming up so i'm really looking forward to getting into it and and like i said look you know without wanting to to really inflate your ego but no honestly congratulations i've got actually i was gonna say i've had a guest on but his episode it still hasn't come out at the time you record him he's written a book as well and obviously sugar-coated murder they've written a book i just think it's amazing you know because i said to this guest i had i said many years ago i entertained a nation of oh, i want to write a book and then you start thinking, and all I could think of was something really cheesy, something really corny. That was if I was lucky enough to be able to think of anything at all, because you start getting the um, the blanks. So now I think it's incredible to put something together and actually see it out there in the wild. I mean, that is the only issue with self-publishing it, is the fact that you publish it, you look at it and you think, okay, that bit could be better. So you're always, like, updating it, editing it, and you're like, oh, God, I hope people like this if they don't, you know. That three years that I've built up, <laughs> building up my reputation as, like, a podcaster, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a nice person. And then they're like, no, I've read your book. This is horrible. <laughs> so, but, yeah, no, thank you for that. <laughs> And we were talking before people should be able to get it when this episode goes out, shouldn't they? But ultimately, I think watch your Twitter feed, right? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, send me the links, etc. And I'll I'll put it in show notes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's number one. And the other thing we can't really talk about, so we're kind of teasing a little bit, but you are also, you've been working on something else special as well, haven't you? Which will be announced at some point in the future. Yeah, so hopefully that will be announced at the very end of the year. I am very excited. The announcement date's a wee bit loosey-goosey. 
I'm kind of <laughs> debating between sometime between Christmas and New Year's Eve, um, because I really want to start, you know, building up. I was about to say suspense, not suspense, but I suppose that's what I'm doing now. But yeah, I want to build up some hype around it. There are a great number of podcasters who are involved in this. It's going to be a project where I am very excited to hopefully be injecting, well, I say injecting more positivity into the indie podcast community, but let's face it, that's like me putting a cherry on top of like a positivity cake, because it's already as positive as it can be. But yeah, I'm hoping with this group project, which of course I'm involved in, you're involved in, you've had to suffer weeks of me bouncing ideas off you as well, being like, oh, can you help me with this or that? What do you think? So I've loved it. It's honestly, I am so excited to see where it goes and yeah, to see what work comes out of it. So yeah, watch your space. Definitely. Watch your space. I think like we said, very vague, but possibly 2023, but definitely 2024, right? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, and just generally how chat tsunami going? I mean, this goes out, this should be the first weekend in, in December, hopefully. So got plans much for December festive period for the pod? Well, I wish I could say I was taking it easy because last week we celebrated our three-year anniversary. Yeah, we did a review on the Dungeons & Dragons film as a celebration because I feel as if Dungeons & Dragons was our first topic that we started the podcast on. So it's almost become a kind of informal tradition that we have to talk about Dungeons & Dragons in some form. Um, we also had the Chats of Shorts episode uh, last Wednesday as well. There's some nice juicy Patreon content going out, as well as a book release. But for December, oh, I wish I could say I was taking it easy, and I'm wondering if you're going to be the same, because we're going to be doing like a lot of Christmas reviews for mainly films, to be honest, because it's really difficult to find a really good Christmas game, you know, that's not like a bootleg or, you know, Santa's gone missing, Santa's got a shotgun, you know, all the family-friendly games. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we're mainly going to be focusing on a lot of Christmas films. So if you don't like Christmas films, you're probably not going to have a good time this month. But if you do, then, yeah, definitely stop by with your hot chocolate, your candy canes, all your chocolate, your tin of roses. That's a very British thing as well. Roses, yeah, yeah. quality street roses. Oh, now it's all yeah. heroes and celebrations, though, isn't it? <laughs> They're not the same. Like, I not love celebrations, but you don't open a thing of celebrations at Christmas. It has yeah. to be, like, a tin of roses or, as you say, quality street and the fact they're overcharging for like the metal tins now oh god but that's a story for another day yeah um, that's a, that, yeah shrinkflation yeah. coming soon yeah, yeah 2024 <laughs> um no for me i'm not doing anything specifically do you know what? i'm actually yeah i'm not going to do anything specifically christmasy for the pod a couple of episodes will have possibly some christmasy elements to it i've got the content already planned out and you know what you said about sort of how how it goes with taking a break and you and I have often said about you know maybe needing to take a break this podcast here is podcast one of four I'm doing in the next four days so I've got got my work cut out for me this week so (laughs) yeah scheduling is it needs to get better in 24 I think but also we will we will get into the show shortly I'm also testing something out 
on this recording tonight as well. So I'm not going to, I won't go into names, but you know, I've, I was telling you all about the technical issues I'd had recently and some of the editing woes I'd had recently, right? Oh, yes. Um, with the they who must not be named, yeah. <laughs> One part of it was, was possibly my fault. I'm actually trying something new tonight as well. So I'm trying to soundboard out. So just to put in the intro, the the outro and the, the, the ad. But yeah, I thought, why not have a soundboard? <gasps> yeah, so get ready for loads of random noises throughout the episode, people. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I jumped out my skin there. <laughs> Jesus. Well, well oh. be prepared. Be prepared for the rest of it. <laughs> who who but, needs horror films when you've got a soundboard? Jeez, oh. I've got a new toy. This is this is it. I I've got the biggest smile on my face, which I know doesn't transmit to people back home in terms of you can't see it. But yeah, this this is gonna be my new plaything for, for the rest of the year. Tell you what, let's start cracking on. So we'll go into an advert soon on the other side of the break. We're gonna talk about gaming scandals outrages controversies aren't we oh yeah i can't wait for this i'm always ready to punch at these controversies so the times when games gaming companies or even the gaming community cause outrage can't resist sorry that's all i've got for this episode i'm sorry Let's play an ad, and that's why I said I'd have you on for this because it is video game related. And as this is video game related, let's hear from Slade, Joey, and Tim over at the Game Club Pod. Join me, Tim, and my co hosts, Slade and Joey, at the Game Club Podcast, where once every two weeks we review video games not too dissimilar from a book club. Find us on all your favorite podcast providers. I love those guys. I really do. Oh, same. And something I'm going to do, I've started with them, and I'm, I'm actually, I was going to warn you to do the same. Well, warn you just because you might see it is, <laughs> I've gone back to the beginning. So I'm listening to their early episodes, and I'll be, I'll be doing the same to yours as well. It is funny. Some of the things they're, you know, they're doing in their, in their initial episodes has, has had me creasing up. Well, I apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Right. So as, as I said before that ad, Um, We're going to talk about scandals, outrages, controversies. Now, in the previous episode, I have touched on some controversies, but my ones, I'm not sure what you've bought. I've actually gone for ones that aren't necessarily the big, huge, obvious, violent games, etc. Although my first one might contradict that. I've kind of gone for ones, some of the ones I've remembered, but, you know, on the face of it now probably seem quite innocuous, but at the time did cause outrage amongst the communities so i think gaming has been synonymous with outrage hasn't it throughout its life oh a hundred percent and i think that is the problem nowadays with gaming the fact that i mean when i suppose you and i were growing up gaming was a little bit more niche like it was starting to broaden out but by the end of the 2000s and you know the facts that gaming is a very popular pastime it's no longer this niche thing you're gonna get other people from different backgrounds saying oh I like this or oh I think this is terrible and I mean between that and gaming companies not understanding how to appeal to those audiences I think it's like oil and water they just they do not mix at times and i think it's definitely changed in that before and i can't 
tell you a time frame of when I mean, what I mean by before, but it was more about the games being shocking or outrageous. You, you still get that now. Hello, Call mm-hmm. of Duty and Grand Theft Auto. But whereas now a lot more of the scandal outrage seems to come, as you said, from the gaming companies themselves, doesn't it? The majority well, of the time. Oh well, yeah, you've got your Blizzard Activisions and companies like that. You've got your rock stars. You've got companies that essentially, I mean, if they're not embroiled in, you know, the latest scandal of mistreating their employees, it's all about crunch culture. It's about this yeah. or that. Yeah. It's just, it's quite surprising in this day and age that companies like that haven't you know, had a word with themselves <laughs> to borrow a very Scottish phrase there to ha- to have a word with themselves and be like, "Come on, we have to be better." But you know, money talks and all that, I suppose. <laughs> so, and, and we will get into our examples. But okay. do you think that that gaming though is an easy target for scandals because, or even outrage because? It is such a broad appeal. It's in it's in everyone's homes. It's not the case, but for a lot of people, they see it as mainly being aimed at children. It does now span a whole age range. So, you know, there are games obviously aimed at the adult market, but games more so now than ever are going to be played by young kids, those violent games. I mean, look, it was a case when I was... I was younger, but the violence in them and the look of them was a lot less graphic and severe than they are nowadays. Do you think basically gaming is just an easy target or an easy environment for these kind of stories to come out of? I think, yes, it is still an easy target, but I don't think it's as bad as it used to be. It actually reminds me of when I was growing up in like the 90s, early 2000s, one of the ones, not so much for me in Scotland, but I know in America there was like the satanic panic. I know that was about D&D, but there was also the satanic panic about things like Pokemon and how that was going to come through your TV and steal your children's souls and things. You know, you had the obvious ones like Grand Theft Auto and games that were like ultra violent your mortal combats that people were absolutely outraged at and think of the children i think nowadays it's less the case that a lot of people are more relaxed compared to what they used to be but i don't think it's necessarily stopped as such, like I remember when I was younger seeing, and this was years and years ago, but I remember seeing this mum and her child who couldn't have been older than 10, and the wee boy picked up this copy of Battlefield, I think it was Battlefield, oh, 19-something, or I can't remember, but it was, no, it was Bad Company, that was it, because if you okay. see this cover where it's like a grenade with a smiley face on it, I remember seeing this boy pick it up and then he looked at his mum and said, Mum, can I buy this? And I was a teenager at the time and I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's never going to happen. Um, the mum's clearly not going to buy it. And of course, lo and behold, she didn't protest. She just took it and went, yeah, sure, let, let's go buy it. And I was like, whoa, hold the phone. Um, because I feel as if nowadays parents are a lot more... or. I, I, 
wish I could say for a fact, but I'm not a parent myself, but they do have the resources, or rather better resources, to see what these kind of games entail. So I think if there is going to be a controversy, the one thing I'll say is I think it's easier for a controversy because of the accessibility of the internet. Because I feel as if nowadays, and I don't know if you agree with this, but it's the fact that the gaming landscape has severely changed. So you've got people who are a lot more hypercritical when they're a lot more negative because, you know, purely for the fact that they can be. But then that drowns out the actual justified critique of these types of games. So... Yeah, I, w- I would say it's twofold. Um, apologies, that was a long, <laughs> that was a long-winded <laughs> well, way to say it was twofold. No, no. But, yeah. <laughs> well, it is. It is funny because when I was a kid, my parents weren't necessarily into technology or into sort of the tech I had, but you know they would get me the computer games or they would get me the computer or the little game and watch things like that. It feels obviously it's changed as people have got older. The gamers have got older. They're into it. When I had Luke from Nerdstalgicon, I think his uncle got him into gaming. And so there is now a difference now where more people in a family will be into it. Now, if my parents at the time, though, had been watching me play games, they would have seen blocky graphics on the screen not doing much. Whereas now you look at, say, a Grand Theft Auto or, I don't know, like a trying to think of another ultra realistic looking game but like oh like dead space that is full-on gore evisceration and (laughs) it would be different to looking now my first game i got a commodore 64 it came with rambo first blood part two and yes you can call it a violent game put that next to call of duty and it's like i know it's like disney cartoons against like the Saw films. It's just, it's a different time now, isn't it? And that's what I'm saying. I, I wonder if now people are less shocked by the games and more so by the practice of the industry. I think you're totally right there. Because funny you should mention that, but I remember my parents being extremely strict about the types of games I could play. And I remember if I was under the age limit of... Like, for example, if a game was rated a 15 or an 18, like Grand Theft Auto, my parents wouldn't let me buy it or play it. You know, they were very responsible in that regard. But as soon as I turned 15, it was like unlocking the sweetie shop. I was just right in there. I was like, yep, I'm going to get this uh, shooter game. I'm going to get that shooter game. But I always remember one of my brothers had, I think it was Duke Nukem 64, and I remember he was playing that on the N64 and I was watching him play it. And as you said, it's these kind of blocky graphics nowadays. And I remember my mum coming in and seeing me watch this and absolutely tearing through my brother being like, how really? could you let your poor brother watch this violent action and everything? She was really mad that he let me watch this. And at the time, you know, you you look back at these games you know and as i said my parents were very very responsible in how they or rather how i played these games you know they wouldn't let me play anything that was going to be too violent or anything but at the same time they weren't 
prohibiting any, you know, as long as they were the appropriate age range. Um, but I feel as if nowadays, even the fact that they are over the top and very graphic, because it, it, and this could be a whole episode in itself, so please feel free to jot it down. <laughs> but there is like quite a real problem with kids getting into the mascot horror genre. Have you heard about this? Like your Five Nights at Freddy's, your okay. I'm trying to think of what else, like Inky and the something, your Poppy's Playtime. You know, it's basically like a colourful character, yeah, that clearly is created to appeal to kids. But on the other side, they're built as if they're part of a creepy pasta. You know, like a horror story. Like, oh look, it's just a teddy bear. Oh no, the teddy bear has fangs in it ripped out someone's throat and you know it's quite disturbing in that regard so I don't know if it is just like subtle marketing in that regard for some of these games and granted that's more for the indie genre of gaming but yeah there is definitely still accessibility and I think that kids nowadays can probably access these games way easier than you and I probably ever could at the same stage of our lives. Well, this is what I was going to say, actually. So I mentioned it a few episodes ago for Halloween when I had Justin from the movie Wire and Matt from The Camera of the Boys. We were talking about horror. And I said, you know, back in the day, you had to get somebody who had the VHS tape for it. And then because it, you didn't really have TV in your room when I was young, you had to kind of then sneak down or wait till you could get the house to yourself to then watch this horror. Or you had to go around to a mate's mm-hmm. house, whatever. But now you can stream it on your phone. Everyone's got TVs in their room everywhere. You can sort of, you've got the streaming channels that show it anyway, any time of day, rather than having to wait till like 11 o'clock at night. It's the same with gaming now. It's all digital. So Hmm. whereas before you could have, you said, you know, look at the cover or look at the back cover. You know, most people probably don't even have game boxes in their house anymore. So a parent wouldn't be able to look at that. You know, they're probably playing it on a TV in their room or on a on a portable console or whatever. So it's probably gone past the police. I mean, obviously, again, like you, I'm not a parent, but what your parents are doing, well, right, there is an age rating system and it's there for a reason. And you can still do that with digital controls. But I just wonder now if it's almost gone past the point of that for a lot of people just because of how accessible gaming is and how digital it is. Because it actually reminds me of a game that came out in, I want to say, the late 2000s. Um, it was called, and I, I actually remember seeing the cover, but I never played it. But it was called Naughty Bear, and it yes, was like, yes, a, I played that. yeah, have you? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. Like I watched a walkthrough of it, and I was just so shocked. That obviously, it's like cuddly bears, and it's juxtaposed by the fact that you're basically eviscerating these poor bears. Yeah, you get games like that where clearly there is a comedic side to it, but. It's not really appropriate for kids yet, you know. Some parents might naively think, oh, right, teddy bear, video game, children, here you go, little Jimmy, enjoy. And then, of course, little Jimmy grows up to be a sociopath, but that's another so, story. <laughs> so you're calling games like the Naughty Bear, etc., and Five Nights at Freddy the vaping of the gaming world? 
I mean, it's not far off, but that is actually. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's a bridge. It's a bridge to another genre. That's all. We'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But kind of having said that about sort of modern scandals, I did just want to say this here, and I know I said my examples I remembered, but this mm-hmm. one I don't because it was before I was born. Before anyone makes a smart comment there. I've got that one of the very first video game outrages ever actually came in 1976. So you would think, yeah, what what could be wrong? Now, it looks like the first controversial video game debate I, I could find was one called Death Race. Bear in mind, I think it was an arcade game, but bear in mind it was 1976. So I've seen some pictures and you can look it up if you if you do Death Race 1976. It looks like an advanced version of Pong. You know, it's a black and white stick type graphic. And the objective of the game is to earn points by running over as many gremlins as possible within a given time frame. What apparently though got everyone upset about this game was that you heard a little scream sound when a person got hit and a little gravestone came up. And due to that, there was a public outcry and the manufacturer took the game off the market. Yeah, I'm looking it up just now and I can't really fault them. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, compared to nowadays, that's nothing. But yeah, yeah, I can imagine at the time watching like a poor wee pixel person running across the screen and then a cross pops up to where they died. I'm like, that's actually quite... (laughs) Shocking for 1976. I mean, it's not the worst. It's not the worst I've seen, no. but yeah, no, that's... it's just interesting. Now, yeah, yeah, so it's it's what it's almost 50 years in it in a couple of years time, and so it just kind of shows. As long as gaming's been around, there's been outrage. And the only other thing I was going to say just to, before I hand over to you for your first talking point was the ESRB, so the Entertainment Software Rating Board, came into effect in '94. So it. It actually feels later than I would have thought it would. And I think I've mentioned it on another episode. I think it came into to being after Night Trap. Oh, the yes. The FMV game. So that's only been around since 94. Yeah, so that's just a very brief little introduction to, yeah, the first outrage and what's coming to help parents mm. there. Over to you. What's your first talking point? So I'm going to kick off with terrible launches of video games and these ones might be a bit more well known so i i'm leading the audience in soft here you know i want to keep this to three hours long this podcast yeah. right? yeah. <laughs> oh please three and a half come on directors <laughs> um but some of the games that i've grouped together for this are of course your fallout 76 no man's sky uh cyberpunk as well there is another one but i will leave that point till later but see for fallout 76 i'll start quickly with that one but have you heard of the controversies around it beyond the fact that when it released it was just overall buggy there's a couple of things so so i'll keep one to myself but because i'm also i used to be a big fan of and still like even though i don't get them collector's editions of games so oh, I know yes. there was some uproar about that or the version of that for that game. But yeah, I remember when that came out because I'm a huge Fallout fan. It is just such a weird... It's a weird series of events. Like, there's a really good content creator called um, Internet Historian 
I don't know if you've ever came across this stuff, I but he so does no. like oh he does a really good summary of Fallout seventy six and funny enough, No Man's Sky as well, where he talks about all the issues in great length and he does it like quite a comedic way, so it's fantastic for that. But I mean, some of the stuff, of course, as I said, there was the fact that it was buggy, there was no NPCs, um, people were using Smurf accounts to basically raid the, I think it's the dev room. So basically, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like the room where they keep all of the items in. So what they were doing was they were creating like an old account, going in, stealing the stuff, and then they would transfer it to their main account. Because what Bethesda were doing was they were targeting anybody. It was like you went in, you got the item, and it would tag your account as if, oh, you've been in here, therefore you're a cheater. So they would permabank you right there and then. But because they were going in with fake accounts, transferring the stuff over and then getting banned, you know, it wasn't really effective. Um, There was also overpriced DLC, which I know was something you'll probably touch on later um, where I think you could buy for 500 I think that this is this kind of leads me on to something else right enough because they gave I think they gave players 500 points of their store credit That's right. like, in yes. the game yeah. because of a particular mess up with one of their collector's editions <laughs> And that, of course, was the canvas bag. And the canvas yeah, that's bag. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, because apparently they were like, oh, here's this lovely canvas bag that you can buy with this collector's edition. And it does look nice. Don't get me wrong. It does look lovely. But then when it actually came out, it was like all plasticky and it was just ridiculous it looks nothing like the bag so they're like okay we're sorry um here's 500 points and the thing was you could buy a lightwood laminate for your house in the game but you couldn't buy the postman's uniform which came with a canvas bag ironically so then of course when people were complaining that led to more issues where people were getting doxxed because, and this was more of a Bethesda issue, people were emailing in saying, oh, can you help me with this? And they were raising service tickets. And apparently there was something going on where they essentially had all of those tickets in public view. So anybody okay. could read people's complaints, wow. their email addresses. Wow. There, It's a GDPR nightmare. As mm-hmm. someone who works for GDPR, is an absolute nightmare. Yeah. But the only other thing I can think of is the Nuka-Cola scandal around that. Did you hear about this one? It's one I've forgotten. I do remember oh, it, but basically, I, I recall they, it, sorry, but I don't remember it, yeah. Ironically enough, much like them, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, they were promising this beautiful glass bottle of that world's version of Coca-Cola and Nuka-Cola. And it looked absolutely fantastic. And people were getting impatient because they ordered a special edition. They're like, come on, where is it? And then eventually they released like a making of thing. But what okay. they didn't realise was it wasn't a glass bottle because surprise, surprise, much like the canvas bag, it was too expensive to make. So they basically put a plastic cover over a glass bottle of rum 
Right. So it was like it was split into two parts and they put the two bits together. So when yeah. people got it, they were complaining that it was flimsy. It wasn't even pouring properly because it was like a second lip and the liquid was getting caught in it. Um, it was just an absolute spiral of like <laughs> setback after setback. It is just, it, it's honestly fascinating. It's like how not to release a game. Honestly, it's like everything that went wrong went wrong tenfold. And I think nowadays it's a bit better and there are people that enjoy it. So I don't want to, you know, dunk on it too much and be like, oh, it's forever a terrible game. But I mean, let's face it, it really got off to a rocky start. And I mean, that's the same with games like No Man's Sky, Cyberpunk. That's what I was going to say, though, right? All those games you mentioned have all gone on to be fantastic games, especially No Man's Sky. And, I, you know, I know you probably say it, but what I was going to go back to on the Fallout 76, though, is the thing with the collector's edition content, I think people have got a right to be outraged by that because that is what, yeah. you know, that that now is more costly than a lot of things. Collector's editions now, we're talking in the hundreds, yeah. right? And just you, if you're putting a picture of something, that's what I'm going to expect to get. And did you ever see the recent, well, when I say recent, it's a few years ago, two or three years ago, but the Marvel versus Capcom, the most recent edition of that. The no, collector's so. edition, if you have a look, the, the collector's edition came with the Infinity Stones. If you look at the promotional pictures for them, they looked amazing. They looked like gems glowing. When the actual game came out, they looked like painted eggs. Oh, yeah. I'm looking Can at them it? now. They're like Fabergé eggs, yeah. Well, if well, they cheap yeah, 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 I was going to say yeah, yeah. But if you see what was promised, it's totally different, and oh, and I think yeah. people have got a right. Yeah, do you see? They people have got a right in that instance. I think to complain. But I mean, is that not illegal though? I mean, I know it obviously varies from country to country, and there'll be loopholes. But surely that is illegal to falsely advertise these kind of things. Like, I mean, especially for, as we were saying, with the canvas bag and, I mean, the only other thing I can think of in terms of gaming, not so much for collector's editions, but I know Watch Dogs was very guilty for that, for overselling themselves, because they showed you... Colonial Marines, wasn't it? Well, Colonial Marines as well, but do you remember Watch Dogs, the hacker game? Yeah, yeah, where they ran it on a very high-end PC and you could see your reflection in puddles. It looked absolutely spectacular. It was going to be the next game and the next gen at the time. And then it came out and it, it doesn't look overly bad, but compared to what they showed off, and again, same with Colonial Marines, that was another example um, where it's just false advertising. And I think, I suppose, for that, they have the excuse of, oh, it's not the final product, which I am so sick of seeing that disclaimer now. But like, oh, it's not the final product. It's like, this game's going to be bad, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be terrible. Well, I was going to say, though, with the games, I don't mind, well, when I say I don't mind, that they, they can be patched and they can be fixed. I think as long as it's a day one patch and not a week, two month patch, you know, yeah. going back to the, the, the collector's editions, I can appreciate things might change. They might not. I don't want to say necessarily it's false advertising and it might be that they couldn't match what they wanted to do. But the price of the the edition never comes down or doesn't come down. It stays the same price. So that is where I've got 
the issue with it. And there was a Resident Evil one. Uh, it might be for six, five or six. I remember it was, I think that was fine, but it was like 500 pounds because it came with a leather jacket. I think it came with like Leon's leather jacket. Oh, I'd remember that, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about charging people this amount of money. Anyway, I'm going on. But, but the games, yeah, I think that is what's stopping me from mainly being a day one purchaser in recent years. Oh, no, absolutely. I actually remember when they used to put a lot of effort into the collector's editions. Like, I think I brought this up before, either on your show or mine, but I do remember when you had things like, for example, I've got the limited editions for the Gears of War games, and they come with, like, a full art book, they come with a DVD about the making of the game, and especially for Gears of War 3, that is beautiful. It comes with the ceremonial case that came also with the metal gear that you actually got inside of it you got a small nice um flag as well with the coalition you got you just got so much stuff and it was just so well detailed and i always remember when call of duty um came out again in 2019 for modern warfare and i remember going on amazon and being like oh i wonder what the collector's edition or the promotional stuff's going to be because it used to be really cool things like the night vision goggles the um rcxd car you know things like that it's like so what's it going to be this time and it was the most horrific looking melted captain price like figure yeah. like a tiny yeah. figure and maybe a bag of doritos um, thrown <laughs> in for good measure same with pokemon pokemon Double XP. yeah like Pokemon as well, they put in like free Pokeballs or something in the game that's already cheap enough to buy. So you're like, well, what's the point? You know, there's not as much emphasis. And uh, I'm saying that, and I could be totally wrong, but it feels as if in certain franchises, they're trying to get away with a lot more for a lot less. I remember I used to get them when they kind of were quite cheap on online stores. And yeah, they were good. You would often get like a like a statuette thing with it. So one of the best ones I had was, I think it was Arkham. I can't remember if it was Arkham City. I think it would have been Arkham City. But it came with a brilliantly collectible Batman figurine. It came with one of the animated films. It came with, yeah, like I said, a making of. I had a Fable one. But one of the best things I had, and it was the most simplest, I must have got one of the Call of Duty, not the ones which came with like the infrared goggles and et cetera. But and something my wife liked was it came with like a little, it looked like a weathered notebook. And that oh. was just, that was just a really cool little thing to have. You know, it's not, it's not anything grandiose or overly priced, but it's something that felt like it fit in with the game and was something you could use and was fairly good collectible. I mean, and the good thing about them back in the day, they actually came with the game. <laughs> Unlike oh, yeah. a lot of them nowadays. <laughs> I mean, have you seen that a lot of the collector's oh, editions now don't come with the game? Well, funny enough, that actually relates to one of the other games I was going to bring up. Um, okay. Have you heard of Mighty Number no. 9 before? Yeah. Oh, it yeah. was a successor to Mega Man, was it? Yeah, it was yeah. 2013, I think, because at the time, Mega Man didn't have a new game, and I don't think it was until, and I could be wrong here, so... 
if any of your listeners out there are Mega Man fans, yeah, pin the blame on me for this, but I think it yeah, was... Yeah, complain to Kara yeah, Chatsunami, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please hate listen to my podcast, I beg you. <laughs> yeah. But at least leave a funny message before you hate this <laughs> review. Um, but I think it was 2018 that they actually had an official game come out for Mega Man, but... At that point, there was like it was a real dry spell for Mega Man fans. So, Mighty Number no. Nine came out. It was a very it seems crowdfunded as well. I think wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And that's where the problems I think popped up because I don't think it was until I want to say twenty fifteen or sixteen that it actually released because they teamed up with Deep Silver to publish it. And, you know, it was a really cool idea at the time, but when they released the, well, when they released a lot of the advertising for it, there was a lot of controversy around that, mainly because, going back to your point, they had the, I think it was like either you could order an NES or Famicom box with the old school, um, the old school, like, instructions in it. But the problem with that was they printed them too large, <laughs> so they didn't even <laughs> fit inside the box they were Brilliant. supposed to be for. Um, and I don't think they even came with the game, because everyone ordered them digitally. And then, of course, when Deep Silver stepped in, they were going to do physical games. And then they said, well, we've paid for the digital. Can we just you know, transfer our pledge over to the physical? And they were saying, no, 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 no. And then, of course, there was the infamous um, trailer have you heard of this? No. Oh, well, basically it showed you off the graphics and the graphics were terrible. You know, people compared the explosions to like cheese pizza and things like that. It was <laughs> really weird, but the narrator for it was trying to be overly, you know, in the 90s you had like that cool dude and oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Do you want to be the awesomest awesomeness of awesome? You know, I'm not far off there. Um, but one of the lines that stuck with a lot of people at the time was he said something along the lines of, you're going to make your, oh god I hate this so much, you're going to make your enemies cry as hard as an anime fan on prom night and I was like oh man oh that that is not how you reel in a general audience yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do, yeah I kind of do remember that now, it's funny isn't it, games are funny Oh, absolutely. I tell you what, though, I do, because I feel like we could probably spend all night talking about then Cyberpunk and No Man's Sky. Oh, yeah. On Cyberpunk, sorry. Yeah, I remember getting it because it, it was cheap on on Amazon, but I remember then not playing it for about another six months because I was waiting for the Fable patch to come out. And even then, you know, I played it recently, enjoyed it, but it was still quite buggy. Um, oh, let's no, just say that. Yeah. yeah, I bought it, I think, a year after release, and this is when they were heralding it as, like, the next coming of gaming, that oh, all the problems are fixed and forgiven. And I kid you not, I did the prologue mission, um, and other than the fact that whenever I tapped out of the game, the whole game crashed, and I was like, oh, great. But, you know, I could maybe chalk that up to an optimization issue. I'm like, okay, I'll forgive it for that. And I'm being very generous, I'll forgive it for that. But then I did the prologue, I did the introduction, and there's a bit, uh, you've probably played it yourself, where it's where you wake up in 
Night City for the first time and you hear the radio announcer go, Good morning, Night oh, City. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. And you see your character go through all these, um, like yes. this, um, it's like cut scenes, sequence. isn't it? It's like yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. It's like a montage of what you're yeah. doing. And yeah. kid you not, when I got to the bit where they're just walking outside, one of the characters was T posing and floating along. My character was floating without a head, um, T posing as well. And I was like, this is a triple A game. The same people who made The Witcher, and it's one year on, and you're telling me they haven't patched something like this out. This is at the beginning of the game, by the way. This isn't like, you know, oh, it's like a hundred hours in, and it's like a weird deep corner that you know, you couldn't have found on your normal playthrough. This is at the very beginning that you can't avoid, so... I do ah, sometimes love yeah. a funny bug. Oh, yeah. I'm naming all the pods today. I was talking to Joey <laughs> from uh, Game Club Pod today, and we were talking, or it might have been yesterday, we were talking about the fact that even though I'm not a massive wrestling fan anymore, I still love playing the wrestling games. I get them when they're cheap, but I still like doing it. And for the last two or three iterations, they've got this bug in it where... It's generally like if a character's got long hair, so it's often when you're playing one of the female characters with like a long ponytail, in the cutscenes, that ponytail seems to have a life of, of its own. And it just starts mm-hmm. flying everywhere. And it's in the last two or three games and they still haven't patched it out. And, and I actually quite find it quite endearing now. It feels comforting when I get that bug in, in the WWE game. But you know what? I'm looking at the time. I'm going to apologize, but I'm going to move on to one of mine now. I'm going to merge two of mine and you might have this anyway. It's kind of in and around DLC, as we've alluded to. Now, again, this first one is going to sound so mild now, but at the time it was just, I remember the outrage it caused, but it was in one of my all-time favorite games. And I feel quite bad because a couple of my favorite games are mentioned in in these examples, but it was Oblivion, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, but it was a horse horse armor mod. Oh yeah, back in the days where you would laugh at a cosmetic DLC and nowadays everybody embraces them. <laughs> yeah, so I think this was in 2005, I think Microsoft said they were going to start introducing what was called then the new thing called microtransactions, or you'll never catch on. Oh, never. <laughs> yeah, they were going to introduce that into the console, the Xbox. And so this is 2006 now. So microtransactions were still relatively new. I don't think they were a big thing. And Bethesda were apparently the first third-party publisher to take Microsoft up on this idea. So what they offered was a pack of horse armor for Oblivion players for $2.50. So again, $2.50 isn't a lot by modern days or modern standards, but it resulted in an outcry from fans who found it too expensive. Now, you've got to remember, this was a single cosmetic item in a single-player game that only you would ever see. So it's not even like a skin in a multiplayer game. Now, Todd Howard claimed Bethesda had tried to put the pack lower, but Microsoft insisted at the $2.50 price point. But regardless, it will be remembered as one of the earliest instances of a publisher charging players for what many felt should be in the game. But just to finish my bit off, it was actually quite popular in sales and was one of the best selling of, or best performing, sorry, of Bethesda's add-ons. Now, if you compare it to modern times where suit or armor skin in Destiny 2 costs $15, probably feels really innocuous now. But yeah, it was, it was just a furore. It's like, how dare you charge me horse armor for $2.50? 
it does seem so ridiculous to look back on it though and think that at least the gaming industry had some standards to reject it but yeah nowadays as you said it's all part and parcel of what you expect from a game nowadays well now you expect yeah as you said spot on you expect a game to have dlc right there was one game oh was it is it azura's wrath which i actually liked it was a game based on chapters and a couple of chapters were actually sold as dlc and i think chapters in the middle of the game if i remember correctly the actual true ending was paid dlc which is unbelievable that's crazy isn't it yeah and just to to throw this one at you as well so we can talk a little bit about it did you know or, or are you aware of Project $10, as it was called. Mm, I don't think so. Project $10 was basically, this was the early 2000s. Yeah, so it was around 2012, 2013. The big gaming companies, and by that, I kind of mean EA and Ubisoft. Secondhand trading was massive. It still is now, but, you know, you'd go into game or GameStop in the States, trade in a game, buy another one, and then obviously the boom in... Uh, secondhand sales was getting more and more and more. So companies were thinking, right, how do we get some of that action? Uh, Because you can't ban the resale of games. So what EA started to do was put in some content that was, it was like DLC. So basically you would get a code in the game. So one of the first ones, and again, this is what I'm saying, Mass Effect 2, and you know how much I love Mass Effect, right? That came with, I can't remember if it was all games or the collector's edition, but it came with something called the Cerberus Network. And you had a code that would download a number of DLC items. But if you then bought that game secondhand, you wouldn't get that. You would then have to pay $10 to get it downloaded. That is insane, isn't it? Same with Dragon Age Origins, which is another game I loved. It came with a code for quite a, a decent dlc side bit to it called the the stone prisoner that was actually quite a good from what my memory quite a good bit of dlc but again if you bought the game secondhand without the code in it you wouldn't get that you'd have to pay ten dollars to get it but it then evolved into sports titles so i think what they were then looking at was ultimately to be online it then became an online pass so for say for call of duty for fifa tiger Woods nba you'd have to have one of these codes to get online. If not, it was a one-time off $10 purchase. But to be able to have some of the online accessibility, you would have to pay this $10. On the EA Sports website, Senior VP of Worldwide Development said that even the harshest critic couldn't argue that paying for online services was unfair in order to continue to enhance the online experiences that attracting nearly 5 million game sessions a day. We think it's fair to get paid for the services we provide to them. Um, he also denied that the move was intended to stamp out secondhand sales, saying that EA viewed the pre-owned market as an opportunity. Now, just to finish this story off, opponents contended that adoption of online pass systems may lead to the removing of more essential functionality from used games and possibly even preventing the resale of video games now 38 studios founder kurt schilling that was the kingdom kingdoms of amalur game he justified the use of an online pass to unlock the seven part bonus quest as day one dlc now this was day one dlc which even then I'll come on to with again one of my other favorite games. I think day one DLC is just as bad as anything, or it used to be just as bad. 
but on this one 2013 they started phasing it out the the outroar became too much the criticism became too much and ea actually started retroactively removing this from some of their sports games so and what i was saying about the day one dlc mass effect 3 again one of my favorites that had some day one dlc called from from ashes oh yeah mm-hmm. a character in it who for me if you're into the game and the lore of the game is i would say he's actually a vital character can you play it without it absolutely but having that character in felt like it should have been in the game rather than dlc now with the legendary edition you get all the dlc but the day one DLC that feels like it's just cut out of the game to then get a cost or a fee later down the line just feels out of order, doesn't it? It is weird when they try to solve a solution that's not really there. <laughs> well, yeah. the problem's not really there, and they're like, oh, I've got a solution for this, and you're like, well, that wasn't really a problem. Like, going back to what you were saying about the pre-owned issue... It's weird to think that back then they tried to do the Project $10 and that didn't work. But then, do you remember the release for the, I think it was the Xbox One in 2015, 2016? And they weren't going to let you actually trade or use pre-owned copies and you had to be on the internet all the time and then they stupidly shot themselves in the face by saying oh if you don't want to go online get an xbox 360 and that is one thing that i think you should never ever do see it when you're selling a game (laughs) even when you're selling a product you do not insult no matter how tempting it is you do not insult your consumer base and that's exactly what they did same with diablo but that was a whole other thing when the guy um, on the stage said, oh, do you not want to play this this game? Do you guys not have phones? And I was like, this is is just a PR nightmare. Whether they wanted to be cool and hip or whatever, but no, I know what you mean. It seems like a lot of companies did try that for a while. They were giving you kind of jigsaw games that they weren't going to give you the full thing. They were going to give you most of it, and then say, oh, we've got um, (laughs) bits and pieces, which, ironically enough, is what happened with the latest Call of Duty, where it was supposed to be DLC. I'm convinced it was supposed to be DLC, and then they said, now let's slap a $70 price tag on it, and yeah, sell it. I know your on that. (laughs) Oh, I'll get to it. I'll be very concise about it, but I will get to it. (laughs) Do you know what, right, though? the That Project $10, for the online pass, right, Part of me, even then, I can understand that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Can I? I think I could. I I couldn't necessarily forgive it, but I could understand it because, yeah, people are constantly playing on the servers and they're not getting anything from that. I get it. Mm-hmm. But to add it into gaming content, that yes. felt wrong, especially if a lot of it is either key elements to it. I mean, if if you're asking people to pay for skins and cosmetics fill your boots if you do that and you know you're happy buying that i'm happy for you and if the company are making money for that but it felt like core elements or or gameplay feels like it shouldn't have been included in that which that's how it started i mean i think and it's been years since i played it but i'm pretty sure one of the crackdown games did a similar thing where 
you'd be traversing the open world and then you'd drop down and it'd be like, oh, you can't play this mission because you've not got the DLC. And it's like, what the, what the hell? I mean, even yeah. with, um, again, sorry, swinging back to Call of Duty, but I think even with some of the older games, there were, op- granted there were optional missions and they weren't like missions tied into the main story or anything, but even then they were trying to lock away certain missions and that meant that you can complete the game with your achievements you know you you couldn't get 100% on your achievements without buying this DLC so it's yeah it's absolutely crazy yeah so I think for me to sum up I'm not saying DLC bad I'm not saying at all some DLC is brilliant I and you know I generally if I love a game I will get DLC for it I'm not one for skins and cosmetics mainly because I just don't change it that much on a character default character let's go but again if you're happy with that you know i know some people love tailoring their their characters to the nth degree i'm not saying dlc bad i'm just saying it should be dlc it shouldn't be cut from the game and yeah you know if it's if it's day one stuff why not you know let people have that within the game but just something i want to i want to finish on on this point is I've joked about it, and I'm sure I've joked about it on here, and probably people have, but, you know, we were saying you wouldn't get DLC elsewhere or, or these kind of practices elsewhere like a book. I would imagine if you had it with a book. Well, Project $10, the online pass, a similar thing apparently has been used by textbook publishers, which I found out when I was looking into this, right? Really? <laughs> by requiring the use of an online pass to offer supplemental content, including an online message board and assignment system where homework may be assigned or handed in, or even an ebook version of the title. It's similarly intended to discourage a secondhand resale or sharing of textbooks by only allowing the online functionality to be utilized by a single student, requiring others to buy their own copy of the book or obtain an access code individually. So there we go. It, it is in textbooks. That joke is no longer a joke now. <laughs> I just want to say, if you're buying my book, you get the whole thing. Um, <laughs> there's no paywalls, no nothing. If you want to pay for the digital edition, it's going to be all there. And if there's a piece missing, please feel free to ask me. <laughs> It'll but, never catch on. A complete book in one? No. I know. Imagine. <laughs> bit, okay, sorry. I, I, over to you. No, no. Over to you. Um, so... A couple of, really just, I can sum this up really in just one umbrella term, and it's more or less poor advertising and things that, you know, have had to be changed either post or, sorry, either post-release or they've had to, you know, try to do some damage control. So, for example, there was the Hitman game, I think it was blood money. I could be wrong on that. But they had an advert of... It, it was quite horrific. It was like a dead woman in a bathtub or something. And their line was like, oh, so deadly or something like that. Um, and, you know, that caused controversy. Um, the Left 4 Dead 2, the cover art had to be changed because of... Well, do you remember the Left 4 Dead 2? controversy well i say controversy but it was a minor one all things considered was that the collectible figure in the collector's edition or is that something no. else it um, might be something else the one okay, i'm no. thinking of is the hand so in the first game i 
think the hand has like four digits and then the thumb's missing, so it's supposed to be, you know, left for dead. Haha, <laughs> funny <Yeah. laughs> kind of cover. But for the second one, in I think America and other places, the hand was like facing the camera with two fingers up. Now, uh-huh. for all the Americans out there, you'll have no idea. You know, you'll think, what, what's wrong with that? But yeah, for us sturdy Brits, we'll know. <laughs> yeah, it's a very offensive symbol to give to someone. It's basically like giving the middle finger, but it's more a it's more a jovial swear. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was promptly changed. So that's why I said I never it was knew a bit that of one. No, yeah, it, it was really interesting because I remember it popping up in news articles, and obviously, I think they made a bigger deal of it than. It actually was because all they had to do was just orient the hand round. So, you know, it was as if it was giving the peace sign rather than, you know, telling you to do something that <laughs> you shouldn't yeah, really be yeah, doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, the only other one, and this is where I get into Call of Duty, and don't get me wrong, this is my last point. <laughs> but have you heard of all the basically the way that Call of Duty controversy baits people? Like, have you seen the long list of things they do? Is this outside of things like no Russian or including that? Oh, no, including, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's like within the world of the games themselves, because in, in <laughs> apologies for any spoilers here, but for, um, I think it was for Modern Warfare 1, the 2006 version, they had like a nuclear bomb go off. And don't get me wrong, that was a shocking moment, but at the same time it was very much in a combat situation so you thought well it's within context and then of course no russian came out where you played the role of basically a terrorist in an airport that was absolutely lambasted at the time but i think because of no russian that's when call of duty started to think hold on a second we can actually use controversy to draw more people in and it just it kept getting worse for the controversial moments like it was very gratuitous after that because in modern warfare 3 you had a child essentially getting blown up by a by like this van well you don't really see it you know you just see the puff of smoke and you drop the camera and other games you saw just like that was in london that was in london yeah that's the one yeah yeah um in the Black Ops series, you had brutal violence. One of my least favourite ones was uh, Black Ops 3, where you literally get dismembered by this robot for no reason. Um, you just you just get your arms and legs ripped off, and you're like, why Why is this a decision in the game? You know, you've got your pe- press F to pay respects. That's the most infamous one. You actually had the reboot of Modern Warfare banned in Russia, because they blamed them in the game for a war crime that was actually committed by Allied forces instead of them. Um, did you hear about that as well? No, it I was, didn't know. Oh, it was shocking. Um, it was basically, it was a tragic thing where, I think in this particular conflict, they'd bombed civilians who were trying to flee. But, of course, in the game, they had a very similar thing where they were like oh this time it's the Russians that did it and that obviously caused controversy in Russia and they said they weren't going to sell the game and things so I feel as if 
they're continuing to stoke people to be like, oh, how far can we get away with this? Because again, there's a lot of gratuity in it, but no substance. You know, it's like you see a lot of, and this sounds horrible to say, but it's like, you know, when people play violent video games or they watch violent films and you get desensitised to it at times. Like, I mean, I have to admit, not, I thought I was desensitised and then I saw a rather horrible, <laughs> like, horror series. I was like, yep, nope, still got it, still human. <laughs> but especially for these games, you do get, you, you know, you, you just go through them. It's a bit like one of my friend's jokes about the Uncharted series where they try to make Nathan Drake a hero. And then, you know, during the game, you're gunning down, like, hundreds of people. But then you get to the cutscene, and he's like, no, I'll never kill anyone. I'm a better man. And you're like, hold on a second here. But, of course, the most recent thing, uh, for Call of Duty at least, is the Modern Warfare 3 series, where I honestly, I got really angry at it. I have to say, usually I give Call of Duty, like, a, you know, you just shrug it off and think, it's... It's Call of Duty being Call of Duty, they're selling the same thing. But basically they repackaged a lot of assets from the previous game because, again, it's this idea of crunch culture with their staff. They wanted to get a game out as quickly as possible. They wanted to bait fans in with the nostalgia factor. So they said, oh, this is Modern Warfare 3. We've got similar story beats, similar characters, but... I think that's probably the tipping point for a lot of Call of Duty fans, but it's actually quite surprising to see that's how far they've managed to get away with these controversial things, and they just keep prodding and prodding, and then it's going to blow up in their face eventually, yeah. For me, absolutely, I, I can't disagree with anything you said, really. I mean, going back to the first one, the, the nuclear weapon one, I think is still a great piece of gaming in the sense of it was shocking you don't often get games where you as the protagonist get killed so that felt shocking you know some people might still think that's tasteless but i you know i thought within the context of that game it worked but then when you get something like no russian which is just gratuitous really and i know there's an option i think that's how they get away to say do you want to not see this well, yeah. most people aren't going to click that, are they? And there was the same in another game, wasn't there? A, like a, a torch scene where you capture someone and they're in a container and you've got the, the option to go in there and be part of the interrogation or you could stand outside. Yeah, that's the reboot of Modern Warfare, the 2019 one, yeah. And I'm like, I just think those two things, by including that, just feels gratuitous because you're asking then the player to take part in that and it's extended for me it's it's similar to gta 5 and the torture sequence in that i could do without that i'm not against you know i i will play the violent games so people say call of duty is violent grand theft Auto is violent absolutely but there's something really distasteful for me about those scenes because I mean, don't get me wrong, Call of Duty is not the only game to do this right enough. I mean, you cited, of course, uh, GTA. It feels as if they do target easy, this sounds so horrible to say, but you know, easy demographics for these kind of things. Like, for example, as I said in Modern Warfare 3, the original, you take the perspective of a father with his wife and his daughter, and the daughter runs ahead, and then, of course, the mum goes off, and... You know, that's obviously like a group of people who are completely innocent and 
Of course, even going as far back to the Russian, those were completely un- unarmed civilians that you're not supposed to gun down, but you know you take part in those atrocities. And even in the reboot as well, there's quite a lot of killing like that. Like they do show you the they show you the NPCs lying lifelessly in the ground, but at the same time they're clipping into the ground and things. So you're kind of like, oh, if you're going to shock me, don't half arse. <laughs> but it's just the fact it's just that symbol though of oh look innocence. You know they might as well show you a picture of a puppy and then be like. Oh yeah, at three fifteen. This puppy was shot dead. Now we have to invade this country, and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold, hold on." <laughs> you know, it's controversy for controversy. Exactly, and I think Call of Duty can get away with it because it's got such a massive following. Some other games don't have the luxury of being like so massively played. Now, mm-hmm. the thing for me that I find really difficult with the No Russian is it is a really, in terms of the game, the plot it's a really clever twist at the end to it. Yeah. It's the scene, they make it playable. You know, maybe it could have been shorter. Maybe it could have been, you know, it cuts to the end of it rather than Mm -hmm. the beginning bit. It's the scene itself rather than the twist in it. And yeah, the Modern Warfare 3, the London one, I can't remember how it, when it came out in relation to events that were happening in the world as well. But, you know, like, I think Modern Warfare 3 had like Piccadilly Circus, didn't it? And it was modelled on the real one. And that felt real to people here after certain events had happened in London. And I think they were they knew what they were doing oh, yeah. when they're doing it. And when you add in a child into it, like I said, I think it just almost makes you roll your eyes now because you're thinking they are now trying too hard to do that next shocking moment, but without pushing the people too far in terms of them walking away from it. Because, I mean, even in the latest game and slight spoilers I suppose for the new Modern Warfare 3 but they of course are trying to capitalise on nostalgia and I think that generates a lot of controversy where they say oh do you remember this thing from the last game and because the last game is so much better you know that people are going to be quite arced that you're almost forsaking their name on behalf of like this inferior product but they have their own semi version of No Russian but it's very it's not as graphic um, it's still absolutely horrific but it's not as graphic as No Russian from Modern Warfare 2 and it's basically you're in the boots of this like former freedom fighter and the plane gets hijacked and basically you have to fight your way through the plane and then you end up getting a bomb strapped to your chest and you know you don't really see not that I'm saying that oh you should see you know, close up the devastation, but it feels like a very throwaway moment, you know, because they do try to make it as horrific as possible with, you know, you're trying to get the phone to turn off the bomb and all these passengers are like scrambling, trying to stop you from getting there. And then as soon as the bomb goes off, it's like, that's that, you know, that's the next scene that's back to the action and you have to recover like the black box and everything. So, it becomes very inconsequential. Like the whole point of No Russian was, at least in the context of the story, was it was supposed to kickstart World War Three, which, as silly as that concept was at the time in this game, it was still contextual. You know, I don't necessarily agree with it when I'm older. The twist at the end worked. 
for me. Yeah. I, I'm happy to be shocked. I just don't like the gratuitous bit that oh, came yeah. before it. That's the issue. Like I said, I think it's a great plot point or the end of it, you know. And well, basically, we might as well, it's not spoiling it because it's older than some of the games we talked about. Yeah. You are an undercover, I think it's an American soldier in yeah. that separatist gang, aren't you? That mows down innocence in, in an airport. And then at the end, they knew all along you were an American undercover. They shoot you. And so it looks like an American has gone on Russian soil, isn't it? To create this, which then triggers off the event. So it's a great plot point, but it's it's the... And the way they animated some of the, the, the civilians in the airport, that it, it, it's to that degree as well. Do you know what I mean? So they knew exactly yeah. what they were doing. For me, it felt like it could have been a different way. I'm happy to be shocked. I just don't like the gratuitous elements of it do you know it's funny because i remember at the time this was all over the news like this dominated the news but nowadays it doesn't seem as if gaming controversies really command as much attention really i mean there are obviously when they're half-baked games and they've got the controversies themselves they're more if it makes sense it's more isolated to the gaming side of the internet and the more gaming news and things it's kind of rare to think now that a mainstream media source will say like the bbc or something will say oh look at this game oh they are doing this or that and maybe they do but it's not as prominent as it used it's all to been be done it's all been yeah. done before hasn't it i know i mean as soon as you go to no russian why like, <laughs> yeah, you go yeah. for it it reminds me of um, one of my friends who played the, you know, the Outlast games. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he said he absolutely hated the second one because, and obviously without going into detail, there's like a very horrible, gratuitous thing that can happen to you if you're caught by the enemy. And he basically turned around and went, well, now that's happened to me. Where do you go from here? <laughs> and, you know, it's the same with these it's games. True. It's like, well, it's true. It, You've had your no Russian of the generation. Where yeah. where are you supposed to go? Yeah, I think I want to call an end to or start wrapping up here, which is a shame oh, yeah, because yeah. I'm having such a great time talking to you. But just out of curiosity, did you have many more things left? Because if you do, I can feel a part two coming up. Um, I don't have any for this one. I have to say. Okay, um, okay. Now we got through everything. That's good. Yeah. I, I just wanted to make sure you didn't yeah. have anything left on the plate. The only other thing, and I'm going to say really briefly, I had was loot boxes. Oh, yeah. And you know something bad when I got, the, I, I found Night Call, there's a whole load of information on the um, Parliament website, because obviously they did a, I think it was in 2016, they did a massive thing on, on this, because they considered it a potential risk to children as as a wider review of gambling. And basically, that you can have a look at it there. They thought in 2019... Uh, loot box market was worth 700 million pounds just in the uk alone and they did yeah they did identify basically i think they did say that there was stable and consistent association between loot box use and problem gambling so yeah i mean that's probably a conversation for another day but loot boxes were and still are kind of like the thing weren't they from fifa to even call of duty i guess well you know that that seems to crop up in all these conversations doesn't it because i mean they also used to have like the quintessential example i always remember was overwatch and i think they got rid of them for battle passes and 
a storefront, which I, I'll never get over the fact that every game now has to be like Warzone. And, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And the, but I mean, ugh, yeah. We could probably come back to this in the new year, and I oh, think yeah. we probably should. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was actually surprised you didn't mention the um, <laughs> a particular collectible uh, that you got me to Google before we came on. Oh, no, oh, uh, let's say, yeah, because what was the one, what's the famous one? Is it, De- no, is it Dead Island? Is it Dead I, Island? I, I'm sure it's Dead Island, yeah, where it's the literal and metaphorical bust of a torso yeah yeah is that the one you're thinking of yeah 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 basically yeah, yeah. and everyone knows about that but i was just googling like contro- controversial collector's editions or things like that and um i came across one i'd never seen before and i sent it to you and your reaction on twitter was just brilliant it was for fear three and it's alma isn't it it's like her because yeah. obviously if you play the game but she's pregnant and so her stomach it had it was almost like a, a glowing green, wasn't it? But obviously she is looking very elongated, very emaciated, and and it is just a horrific piece, isn't it? I don't know who you would buy that for or why you would buy that. And the example I gave to you was when I was at a comic con like yeah. a good several years ago, and I was looking because I'm a Twin Peaks fan. I was looking for a Dale Cooper um, Funko. And then all of a sudden the guy turned around and was like, oh, do you want a Laura Palmer one? And I was like, oh, well, let's see it. And for those of you who don't know, it's a murder mystery show where, you know, this very poor, unfortunate um, teenage girl gets murdered and they have to figure it out. And the body at the beginning of the series is found wrapped in plastic. And some person at Funko thought, do you know what we're going to do here? We're going to sell a Funko of the body wrapped in plastic and I just thought there is not enough money for me to display that and then have to explain every single time why the hell you would have something like that in your house and I cannot imagine the conversations you would have with Alma a pregnant demon creature on your shelves I don't get it. Terrible <laughs> it, just, it, is, it, oh, it gave me nightmares. I, gave me nightmares. I, I genuinely thought the Dead Island one was the worst I'd ever seen until you broke that illusion. So thank you. Well, I'm thank glad, I, I'm glad I could do that. I'm glad I could do that for you. Look, as, as I said, I'm really sorry for ending the conversation. I could talk oh, to you all night. No. I love talking to you. I love having you on. Do you just want to shout out your socials before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. So if you want to check out more content from myself or our collab episodes as well, because we've done As Dusk Falls and, of course, the interview with yourself, because that was a long time coming as well. Yeah, you can check us out on the website, chatsandami.com, as well as all good podcast apps. Just look for the Red Panda under the name Chats and Abby, and yeah, we'll see you there. But yeah, once again, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's honestly a pleasure coming back. <laughs> It's great having you on. And if you are one of the few, because I can't believe there are many of you that aren't subscribed to Chat Tsunami, do so after listening to this because, yeah, it's a great podcast. And as you've heard, Satsu is just a, a great individual. So thank you for coming on. From me, well, you're listening to me, so you should know where to get me. On socials, just look for Casting Views or at Casting Views across all social media platforms and you'll find me. If you want to be on the show if you want to give me any ideas for episodes that you think would be good just drop me a note there or if you just want to say hi i'll say hi back and you know what i'm going to bring back a catchphrase i haven't used for a long time before we see the episode out so 
I know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose, so I thank you for listening to Casting Views. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, take what we've got, cause you